Brought to you by Leave the Ring Network. All boxing, no filter. Oh! It's another knockdown. He's not getting up, Jim. He get up. He's not getting up, Jim. He's not getting up. No, he's been knocked out. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. AJ does it in style. Beaten down, hopeless, without an answer, and Lomachenko has made Rigondeaux quit. It's Fistionados with Evan Rutkowski. He's a good boy, you know. Hello, Fight Fans. It is Wednesday, May 1st, and this is the Fistionados podcast on the Leaving in the Ring radio network. I'm your host, Evan Rakowski, former HBO sports marketing executive, giving you my take on what's happening in the sport of boxing on your screen and behind the scenes. Email at fistinados at yahoo.com. Follow me on Twitter at fistinatospod. We are brought to you by Ring Magazine and ringtv.com here on the podcast. couple of quick things before we start for this episode. The deep dive, by the way, will be on DAZN in this upcoming stretch for them. I wrote an article about it uh, for Ring Magazine, the actual magazine. We're going to dive way further deep into it like we always do. Uh, And we'll do a review and a preview. Next episode will be on PBC's ratings on Fox. So I'm going to dive further into that. I've talked about it a little bit and on a few other podcasts other couple things. I was a guest on Chris Mannix's podcast last week where we talked about a few different things both in and out of the ring. He has a great show where he talks to a lot of other people in the sport. If you don't listen regularly, first of all, you should. And uh, second of all, just check out our discussion. I you know, I loved it, and uh, he's a great host. I, I love it in particular. He, he's got a couple different people all the time. Keith Eideck in particular for me, I always like. They always have a good discussion. Shout out. To the state of combat folks over there on that one. Last episode, I tried that new segment. I did hear from some of the listeners that you really liked the the segment. So I don't know when we'll be doing more of that, but that was a fun little thing that we did. Uh, I always appreciate the love from them when they give me shout outs. And all I have to say on this, I'm glad you guys over at State of Combat liked it. I'm glad Alex Godinez and the ADK crew liked it. And BC, specifically on this one issue that you called out, I know my podcast is hard to find. The Fistionados podcast markets itself like that New York City hotspot, but not the one with the line out the door with the crazy cover charge. This is the one, maybe it's in Alphabet City or something like that, or you know, in, in some area sort of East Village, but like not close to NYU, way further away, something like that, where you kind of have to like go into another restaurant and then there's a secret door or something like that. That's how you find it. It's not the traditional way to do it from a podcast perspective, but this is a podcast for the people who liked Estrada and, and Street Saquets or Visai. Like it can be for people who like Canelo Jacobs, and we love casuals over here at Fistinados, but this is really for the hardcores. That's all I got to say to answer your your question slash complaint on that issue. Also, check out Johnny Wilde's ESPN column 
where I will be a guest columnist and he has a couple people every time he does this to break down big fights from a betting perspective. He's going to do one on Canelo Jacobs. I'm just so excited for it because I used to bet regularly on fights before I worked at HBO and I just kind of like love gambling in general, sort of both what it means to the sport, not necessarily from a monetary perspective, but you know how I always say this what it means in terms of how you view fights being matched correctly. And then, you know, just as a gambling culture, I'm sort of fascinated with it. Um, so it's an honor to be involved in that column. Look for it on ESPN.com. All right, let's jump into the review section. Let's start with the ESPN pay-per-view from Madison Square Garden on Saturday, April 20th. Terrence Crawford wins by KO6 over Amir Khan. Teofimo Lopez wins by KO5 over Edis Totley. Shakur Stevenson wins by unanimous decision over Christopher Diaz. Felix Verdejo wins by unanimous decision over Brian Vasquez. I was at these fights, and as I've said previously, I've consulted on it. So I don't want to get too much into it from the business perspective. Um, and legitimately, by this point, it's old news uh, because so much, so much great stuff has happened. But quick thoughts just in terms of what happened in the ring and maybe what it means for the fighters. Crawford looked really impressive, and while I thought Khan had a pathway to victory, and you could actually see his hand speed, or at least I could see it live on display in moments. Uh, Crawford was way better. He looked apart. His punches landed way harder. Uh, he dominated the fight. I, I think you could say maybe Khan went around or something like that. But the way it ended kind of sucks for Crawford just because I think he was well on his way to a really impressive victory by that point. Um, Tefimo Lopez looked great, although... I think there should be some questions asked about how difficult it was for him to make weight. And I think the big question, the biggest sort of issue here is whether or not he had difficulty because he is growing out of his weight class or whether it was something that maybe we didn't really know about. Like sometimes you get an injury during training camp, something like that. You know, it was sort of a second or third step up fight for Lopez but I think what everybody wants to know is if we're going to see Tiafimo fight Lomachenko or not. And if Tiafimo had a great training camp, which he took really seriously and there were no injuries or anything like that, and he still had issues making weight, then that's not a good sign for the Loma-Tiafimo fight. I think even with as much hype as Tiafimo has right now, he still needs a win against someone who is considered a legit top 10 guy in the division, like not just by the sanctioning belt, but like actually a legit top 10 guy before he, he deserves the Loma fight. You know, I do understand why they took the fight in terms of getting the positioning and Totley is good, but like, you know, like I just said, we need to now see him against someone who's legitimately considered top 10. And if he, we do, and if Tiafimo wins that in impressive fashion, obviously we, I think everybody would love to see him fight Lomachenko if that doesn't happen, you know, it it, it gets tough because, like, clearly Lomachenko is a smaller 135 and clearly Tiafimo is a bigger 135. And I think if they fought tomorrow, I think Lomachenko would probably, you know, win impressively. But with Tiafimo with another fight or two and then just that time, most importantly, that time in training camp where he's learning and, and perfecting his craft – that's where he could make up some of the difference, and the fight could be really interesting in even like nine months. But that's the big question coming to that. Let's 
move on. Shakur Stevenson, he looked really good uh, in a in a step up fight, but he went back to the Shakur that wasn't quite as exciting in the ring. And I think that's okay for right now because he's not fighting the elite guys yet. But that day will come soon if he keeps progressing at this pace. Uh, you know, there are a couple of boos in the arena by the time it was over. I, I didn't. I thought it was a pretty impressive performance, but. You know, we're already at the point where both for Tiafimo and Shakur, we should start seeing them in ESPN main events on the network. And then there's not a whole lot of, of seasoning more that you can do inside the ring. Then it's just time to see what you got and have him not just in an ESPN sort of lower level main event, but like in one of those bigger fights where he's all over, you know, getting PR on ESPN's platform and you really feel the push behind him. And that comes when, you know, when it's time to do the unification fights and that and, and stuff like that. Both these guys are still, they don't even have a title yet. So they're still one step away from that. But I think we can start seeing them in ESPN main events at this point. Okay, and then Verdejo, like, let's see it again once or twice before we get too excited about that. Uh, because in person, that one seemed a lot closer than the scorecards were. All right, so also on Saturday, April 20th on Fox, we had Danny Garcia beating Adrian Granados by KO7, Andy Ruiz beating Alexander Dimitrenko by KO5, and then Brandon Figueroa beating Jan Frez Parejo by KO8. The entire show does an average of 1.082 million viewers, peaking at 1.468 million. The main event itself averages 1.39 million viewers. I talked about this a little bit on Mannix's show, and my next podcast will be specifically on this issue and with what the PBC and Fox are doing. So I don't want to belabor the point, but obviously this isn't great at all right now. There are lots of reasons for the show not doing great, and I think very quickly you can point to the NBA playoffs doing huge numbers that night. There was also NHL playoffs and obviously the pay-per-view fight. And just for context that night, NBA had the top four rated cable shows of the night, all of which did much better than this show did. You know, obviously their cable Fox is broadcast television. Uh, <clears throat> there were the NHL playoffs. They were on NBC. And I also think you need to cut the PBC. You know, I've said this point before. You do need to cut the PBC slack, some major slack here as like we've seen how crucially important the on-air marketing is from other sports on Fox um, and the NFL is over. We're just seeing the start of baseball. The WWE hasn't switched over to Fox yet. That would be on Friday nights. You know, for the record, the NBA games were like the low. I think the fourth one was like 2.1 million. The best one was 3.1 million average viewership. NHL average 1.5 million. Um, and this is actually something I'm going to get into more next episode. Uh, even though it averaged 1.5 million, it's a different 1.5 million that the PVCs sort of one point whatever, just over 1 million. Uh, let's call it 1.1. Let's round up for them. It the NHL beat the PBC in almost every demo that matters, and and mostly it wasn't even close. And I'll talk about it more in the in the next episode. But in general, the the PBC skews older to the point where a lot of times they're, they're out of the age range that really matters to advertisers, and they aren't doing that, like, they're really not doing well with younger demos. More on that next episode. Uh, and, and in their defense on that, it shouldn't be that surprising because they're airing on Fox. Um, but again, more on that next episode. 
Let's move on. Friday, April 26th from Inglewood on DAZN, we had Juan Francisco Estrada winning by unanimous decision against Risa Katsura Rungvisai for the WBC Junior Bantamweight title. Danny Roman winning by majority decision over TJ Doheny in a junior featherweight unification fight. Jesse Vargas beating Umberto Soto by KO6. I attended this event as well. It really lived up to the hype for me. It delivered two fights that probably won't quite be in the fight of the year conversation, but are probably going to end up sort of like one level down, like still really great fights. I mean, you could make a case that had TJ Doheny won like another round or two early and sort of had that drama set up, that would actually be in the fight of the year category because you know he did get knocked down twice, but he recovered really well both times. You know, it was amazing to watch live because you saw two guys really ascending to the next level in their careers. Like, even though both had titles, neither truly had the platform to propel themselves forward. And they both really did it with this fight. Like, Roman is really in line for a big fight after this. And it sounds like all parties are willing to make the Ray Vargas fight for further unification. And Doheny made a lot of new fans. I mean, he won that crowd over in L.A., he said some great things in his post-fight interview. The crowd, I mean, really just loved him. And you can see that he he might be able to fight, have other fights in Los Angeles after that. Um, Jesse Vargas looked good. So did Soto. You know, they. <clears throat> it was fun. That one was fun. I mean, it seemed a little bit closer. Like, there was more give and take in person um, although you probably, if you're being really honest with yourself, Vargas was up on the scorecards. Uh, you know, maybe Soto won a round or two, but he was sort of competitive in all of them, and he made it fun television or fun live for me. Um, you know, and then let's move on to the main event. I think they should run it back a third time. I mean, SSR clearly lost this one, but he had he made the technical adjustments earlier, which look a lot of other people sort of with better pure in the ring boxing brains than me have talked about this with the switching stances and all that kind of stuff. Like it's a close fight. I think the third one would be great. I mean, you know, with what got him there where he's using that tough physical style and then Estrada, both of these guys have been in a lot of big fights. You don't know when they're going to fall off a cliff, but like right now they're performing at the top level. And in these weight classes, the zone can really build these guys. They can make some really fun fights this was one for the hardcores. You know, it it worked out well. All right. On Saturday, April 27th, from Louisiana on DAZN, we have the World Boxing Series semifinals with Regis Progre winning by KO6 over Kirill Relic for the WBA Junior Welterweight title and Nonito Donaire winning by KO6 over Stephen Young at Bantamweight. This was also really fun to watch, both fights on DAZN. I mean, obviously no ratings for this one or the night before, uh, but a couple of of major takeaways, because you guys know I'm a huge fan of the World Boxing Super Series. First of all, and I've tweeted and hinted at this before, but whoever wins the 140-pound World Boxing Super Series tournament is going to be a major free agent in the boxing world. DAZN does not have a contract with the winner of this tournament. In fact, I think at 140, because of the ESPN Crawford situation at welterweight and the PBC, how loaded they are at welterweight, you might even see 
all four or at least like three of the four semifinalists choose to move up to welterweight from 140 and sign potentially lucrative deals on one side of the street or the other. I mean, Josh Taylor and, and program in particular are fighters that we have seen start to blossom in their last few fights, both in and out of the tournament. And both are using the tournament as a platform, not only to improve their standing within like the sort of boxing community where, you know, you can see people inside the boxing industry, just sort of looking at them and saying like, Hey, these are really good fighters that are starting to emerge, but also develop real, real fan bases and, and, and they can get, you know, maybe real crowds in their hometowns. I mean, I know Lafayette isn't pro Gray's hometown, but you got to think in either Houston or New Orleans, he's going to draw big. He was kind of a big deal for the fight he did last that was in New Orleans a few months back. Uh, Baranchik also at this point, I mean, even if he loses, I'm sure he'll be sought after because he makes exciting fights. And, you know, for that matter, I think, I mean, look, I think Taylor's going to be pursued in the same way. Like, even if he loses to Baranchik in the semifinals, I still think he would be pursued. He he He's looked really, really good in his last few fights. And I think he's... He's just he's got the potential to win it all. So even if he has an off night against Baranchik, who who is highly regarded, I think all these guys will be sought after. Even Kirill Relic. I mean, Relic's performance, like, you know, we need to see was it disappointing or like we need to find out if he was just outclassed by a truly great fighter in Progre. And Progre could be a great fighter. We've seen him improve massively in his last few fights, and he. It, he appears to have, you know, to be an incredible talent at 140. You know, so so did Relic just get outclassed by a great fighter, or was it one of those things where he had trouble making the weight? He needs to move up, and he, you know, we've kind of seen him against some B level guys before, where he's looked good beating them, and 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 he can be a good opponent. So who knows? I mean, that I I think there's a lot of opportunity there for whoever emerges, and even at 118, I mean. You know, Nonito, I mean, he's made what a run to make the finals of the tournament. He's probably gotten paid really, really well for this. And he's kind of remade his career. He won another title. He advances to the finals. You know, he obviously he's going to be in for a tough fight no matter what in the finals. But, you know, he's 36. I mean, no one thought he would be doing it at this age. Okay. On Saturday, April 27th, also, there was a... I'm not even going to call it a semi. The ESPN Plus feature, Daniel Dubois, I'll talk about it at this point. He beat Richard Larde by KO4, but I'll, I'll mention it. Enough enough of that. You get a mention, but you're not at the point where we talk about you yet. Semi-interesting, though, going in. Finally, on Saturday, April 27th, from Las Vegas, on Showtime, we have Robert Easter Jr. and Rancis Bartholomew fighting to a draw. Victor Postal schooling Mohamed Mamoun by unanimous decision, and F.A. Ajagbe winning by KO2 against Michael Wallace at heavyweight. The main event averaged 312,000 viewers and was the 101st rated cable show of the day. The other fights averaged 261,000 and 217,000 viewers. They were obviously rated worse. Not a great effort by Showtime, uh, but to provide context there, there were a lot of mitigating factors. They clearly didn't put too much of an effort into this show. They didn't announce it till fairly recently, and honestly, they probably shouldn't have. I mean, it wasn't none of it was great television. Uh, the Ajagba fight was the only one that I would really say had me interested, even during the fight. There was also just lots of boxing on this weekend, 
I do believe Robert Easter and Ajagba are interesting fighters. And again, heavy competition, NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, UFC, all sorts of stuff. But I also, while I like them as fighters, I do want to just highlight, um, and, and people know I'm a big fan of what Showtime does. They clearly didn't put a whole lot of effort into this. But again, just for context, I want to give a couple statistics to show just how poorly it performed. Other sporting events on that beat it. The track and field Drake relays on NBC Sports that beat it. The UFC Ultimate KOs and Subs on ESPN2, not even a live sporting event, just highlights that was on ESPN2, that beat it in the ratings. And the, I'm talking the main event here, not the other fights. Obviously, if it if you average out all the fights together, it would have done even worse, and other shows would have beat it. But both hours of NFL Total Access, a studio show for a sport not even in season. Now, granted, this was a draft, but it was... After day three of the NFL draft, so rounds four through six, on the NFL Network, that beat it. College softball and ESPN beat it. And, you know, the UFC fight night, like the actual live fight night, the early prelims on ESPN2 beat it. Again, these this night of fights did not deserve to be, to, to be rated that well. It wasn't a great show going in. I probably wouldn't have watched it had I not had a podcast on it. I mean, I know those guys well. I, I like Robert Easter. Uh, but, you know, you could probably tell with that matchup, not a great one. I still cut Showtime some slack so far for 2019 because of the Mars injury. The earlier Pacquiao fight had to go into pay-per-view, which kind of messes up your schedule a little bit. But starting with the upcoming Wilder fight, we need to see some great value here. I mean, one of the things I loved about Showtime in 2018 is that it was highly curated. We almost never saw a bad fight, even on the undercards, or at least on paper. There were some, there were some fights that weren't that interesting or that were boring, but on paper, there were either close odds going in or it was going to be good television. And that really went for the main events and the undercards. We're not seeing that a whole lot so far this year. And some of it isn't, you know, the there's the Mara's injury. But even this, like, just for this specific card, do we need three fights for this? No, we didn't. Like, I could have just, I could have done without Victor Postal and the Mamune guy. I mean, that just wasn't, you kind of knew going in that wouldn't, you know, closely matched fight, probably not going to be great TV. And then the main event, I mean, those guys, like, again, I'm interested in Easter. I'm not that interested in Bartholomew, but, like, matched up together, probably not going to make good television. All right. Before we go into the deep dive, I want to talk about one other thing that, you know, and, and this is something I talked a little bit about on Mannix, and maybe, I'll, you know, I'm not going to touch on this aspect of it in the deep dive, but let's talk about Jarrell Miller for a second and not how DAZN could find a suitable replacement or something like that. I want to challenge all the hardcore fans and the people who work in the sport on this issue of like wanting a clean sport. I mean, if you want a clean sport, then a couple of snarky comments on Twitter when quote unquote boxing does this, because you, you know, you, you look at boxing as a whole, even though it's not a whole, it's a bunch of individual business transactions there, <clears throat> there is an occasional article here and there pointing out the obvious deficiencies 
in terms of, of what's going on here, then it's not enough. I mean, but even as me, I went on Mannix's podcast. I literally said, I don't think most fans care about this issue. And I got no blowback on it at all. Like, I didn't even have one person on Twitter say to me like anything about it. Like, hey, you probably shouldn't be saying that. Or, hey, I care about it, you know. I mean, and I can tell you, like, if I say one bad thing about the PBC on Twitter, I have a pack of wolves on me faster than I can even finish my follow-up tweet. I have a Polish last name, but that does not deter Polish boxing Twitter from jumping all over me the second I besmirch any high-profile Polish fighter in any way, shape, or form. And sometimes Ukrainian ones, too. If you all care about the sport being clean, like, that needs to change. And I'm not saying jump all over me on Twitter. What I'm saying is... You need to change public discourse and public opinion on this issue. Because there will be other network execs or former network execs like me who will also just say no one cares and what can I do about it? And that's true. And so with the exception of banning a fighter from the network, which is incredibly complicated because for as many Jarrell Miller tests that came back and showed he obviously cheated. Like there are plenty of other scenarios like BJ Saunders and many in the UFC where it's not obvious they cheated. And maybe it's likely they didn't cheat. And so it's really tough to just blanketly ban someone for life or for several years from your network. Like if we're really being honest, like if you did it and you had a great system, you'd be catching a lot of fighters cheating. And if you caught them all as a network executive, you wouldn't be able to put on a lot of fights on your network. But here's my larger point. If you give fighters and trainers and network execs and promoters and managers a pass on this stuff, we will probably take it. And we will probably not feel that morally conflicted about it because it's an incredibly complicated issue. I've talked to NFL general managers and and coaches before, uh, or people in front offices. Maybe, I'm not sure if... Actually, what, what... Let's not, let's not belabor that point. Front office executives, and, and I think actually, yes, a general manager as well. And they are not morally conflicted on whether people should play football. If you play football, you know the injury risks. And it's kind of the same way if you box. You kind of know the risks, and you're doing it for a lot of money. So when stuff like this happens, it's, you don't, it, it's a tough scenario because it's also hard to define what is a performance-enhancing drug and what isn't? Now, I think almost everybody universally out there is for a clean sport. So that part isn't complicated. But what you do and what the penalty is and what the crime is is incredibly complicated. But I just don't think it, if you guys care about that, then stop giving people passes on doing that kind of stuff. And I'm not saying I deserve – like I'm not – some, I'm doing this podcast because I'm no longer a network executive. So it's one thing for me to just say that. And, and I guess I'm not asking for, for blowback. But what I'm saying is credit the zone for finding a suitable replacement for Jarrell Miller. Credit the New York Athletic Commission for suspending. Even going back, I think there are major issues with, with the way Nevada handled Canelo. But they did suspend him. Okay. Maybe you should praise fighters like Nonito Donaire, who's been a huge advocate his whole career of being a clean fighter and for a long time was in the VADA 365 program. I'm not sure if he's still in it or not, 
but you know he's gone on and and did it the right way moving down in weight and at age 36 is in the world boxing super series finals maybe it's also putting pressure on other leagues to do something about it because you know the example i used on max's podcast with the nfl like oh when your left tackle gets suspended your natural reaction isn't Oh my God! That there's so much head trauma caused by him. It's it's how long is he out, and what are we going to do? Our backup stinks, and you know that kind of stuff. And the NFL doesn't have punitive penalties, and I'm not sure they necessarily should, but they at least have a policy for it. Then there's leagues like the NBA, who probably have a significant PED problem and barely acknowledge it. I think most people involved in the sport want a clean sport, but it's hard to do much about it unless you're really in a position of power. And then it's so competitive that it also makes your job hard when it comes to those kind of decisions. But if you want a clean sport, put pressure on people who are in positions like that, and maybe they'll start to feel it. Because if they just don't care, then you're no one the responsibility is so scattered that no one will do anything about it and maybe i'm right maybe no one listening to no one listening to this does maybe you guys don't care and you just want to see the fights and if i am right then you know don't do anything about it and nothing will happen anyways on to the deep dive this episode we're going to look at the zone and what I've talked about for a while that is real is really the most important stretch in the company's history. Certainly, their history in North America, and and probably their company's history in general. And I'll do a quick review of you know sort of where we got here with the zone. It it is not that long, and then <clears throat> I will just sort of what their upcoming schedule is, why that matters, why it's scheduled that way what they hope to gain, and like what is the roadmap going forward for them. So let's start out with something that, that probably most people listening to this podcast already know what DAZN is, but you, know, you guys know how I do these kind of shows. I try to keep them as evergreen as possible, so bear with me. DAZN is a sports streaming service, originally came out of the Perform Group, and the important things to take away here are two things. Number one, they're a worldwide company that's well-established in many other parts of the world with a real subscriber base and, and top-level rights for sports that are relevant in those countries and two they have a lot of data on viewing habits from all over the world like more on this later but in terms of what it means right now the important things is that they can use the data to make intelligent choices when it comes to what programming they should acquire as well as how they should attempt to acquire customers and it's a service that's priced differently everywhere, but in the U.S. it started out as $9.99 a month and now is available either at $19.99 a month or $99 per year. They entered the U.S. market in September of last year, starting out with that Anthony Joshua Pavetkin card from the U.K. That was back when Andy Hearn was going to be the primary or what sounded like the exclusive content provider for DAZN in the United States. That plan was abandoned fairly quickly, and now Hearn is one of several promoters on the platform obviously including Golden Boy and now some version of Tom Loeffler or Triple G Promotions, something like that, you know, maybe a few others here and there. Okay, now that that stuff's out of the way, let's take a closer look not only at what the upcoming stretch of fights for them, but why it's so important and why it's happening now because 
like there's a lot of things to look at with the zone um, and, and maybe even some complaints and I want it. And, and I think they have taken a couple major steps to address them. So first let's look at the schedule. So when DAZN came out in the fall, Eddie Hearn was talking about a number of different things, including putting on longer fight cards with more big fights, putting on several different levels of fight cards, most notably four really big pay-per-view worthy cards per year to entice customers. And if you really look at what DAZN was doing in the fall, it wasn't offering anything that truly separated from the other entities that were televising boxing. And let's be clear, when you're starting a new service, you need those big fights to attract customers because if you're just putting on a fight a, a fight card product that is similar to what ESPN, I'll just use ESPN as an example because I think I think it's well established for anyone who listens is I think that one com- is a commercial success. The what Top Rank is doing on regular ESPN is a commercial success, um, and I and I think clearly think Fox can get there. Clearly think Fox can get there. But if you put on the same thing that what ESPN is doing and getting however, you know, several hundred thousand viewers and or what PBC is doing on Fox when they put on a good card, let's look at their December and January cards. Those are sustainable. It's tough to compete with that. You've got to be better than that. And the way you differentiate yourself is not be better week in, week out. You'd be as good week in, week out. You'd be better on the big pay-per-view tentpole events. That's how you get subscribers. Otherwise, only the boxing junkies are, are going to subscribe. So, back to the original point. Anthony Joshua, now in the service. But Anthony Joshua back then, and, and also right now, not drawing such great numbers in the afternoons on Showtime last year. Like, you got a couple fighters that were sort of good in the ring. That's what Eddie Hearn got. But for whatever reason, didn't resonate with the public. Like, you got Jesse Vargas. You got Demetrius Andre. But nothing that made you say, going back to the conversation, oh my god, I gotta have DAZN. Super Boxing Nerds, World Boxing Super Series, yep, had to have that. Someone like me's gotta have that, so I'll subscribe to to DAZN just for that. Eddie Hearn's UK pay-per-views that offer really strong matchups in the UK, um, and, and we learned in December that that DAZN does not have those exclusively, but I thoroughly enjoyed watching Usyk Belu in November. Definitely got to have that. If they had White Chisora too, I mean, Showtime ended up getting that. Um, I would have, you know, that would have been something I would have loved to have on DAZN as part of my subscription. I loved having it on Showtime as part of my subscription. I don't care as much about the local Hearn shows that aren't on UK. Those are exclusive to DAZN. Obviously then, though, Canelo happened. And then all of a sudden, DAZN became a real thing in terms of not only a attention in PR, but actually having the top commercial fighter in the world and adding the Golden Boy stable. And that also became a magnet for getting other major fighters at middleweight on board. And when it comes to Canelo, like I'm stating the obvious when I say he's a game changer, like DAZN didn't pick his first opponent in Rocky Fielding, uh, but having him in the mix just, again, it gave DAZN that like real legitimacy for the first time in things, in, in terms of where this thing could go. And let's pause for a second here, because up until this point, I haven't really given you anything that you weren't already aware of. I mean, like, I like setting the table here to make the larger points, but I don't want to belabor it. So really what I'm, what I'm hinting at here and, 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 you know, what I'm just going to flat out ask to is, and I think what a lot of people in the boxing community ask is like, hey, what took you so long? Like, 
why did you give so much responsibility to Eddie Hearn? Because in the beginning, he was just trying to sign Al Heyman fighters as if he was like actually going to accomplish something like signing Al Heyman fighters. I mean, you know, we knew like, I mean, and clearly what I mean by that is he was never going to actually do that. Like we knew that Showtime and ESPN would resist the zone's entrance into the U S market. I mean, especially once it became clear that Fox was going to sign a deal with the PBC and PBC already had a relationship with Showtime. I mean, DAZN clearly needed to make moves. That's what you saw Skipper do when he came here. I mean, I don't really fault DAZN that much for trying it with Hearn. Like, perhaps it shows a little naivety in terms of how boxing works in the U.S. But I think, you know, the idea for a streaming service like this is bold, and you can't accomplish your goals by playing it safe. So I understand them trying it with Hearn. And I actually think he signed now a bunch of really good fighters with international appeal, like he has very few U.S. based fighters that matter a lot, but he's got a lot of great international fighters with a lot of appeal. And I think he could put on really good cards in the United States. And that April 26th card was a great example of it, you know, sort of for the first time. The other thing I think for DAZN, and I think this is something I've said before as well, like fights don't magically happen overnight. So not only are you in the, in the business of like the individual business transactions, like that's what fights are. It's, I mean, it's completely at odds with every, every other sport, but that's what boxing is. A fight legitimately takes two months, at least to have a training camp, probably 10 or 12 weeks. And so when given that, and then given the lack of choice that the zone had in Canelo's first opponent, I actually think what they did was relatively smart. Like, they got some name recognition. They got themselves out there in December. But the real push has to be now. I mean, April, May, June is the time. Like, what they did right after Canelo fought Fielding in January February, it really didn't matter because that was because Fielding didn't move the needle as an opponent. Whatever happened in, <clears throat> in January and February it was only going to matter to the hardcore fans that were subscribing. I mean, they did put on some decent action fights, but now's the time when you got to show both to hardcore fans and casuals what you have to offer, why it's great. And and that's where I think, you know, like, here we go. Like the April 26th card built for hardcore fans. SSR versus Estrada was on paper. One of the closest match, highest profile fights with significant pound-for-pound implications that we'll see on non-pay-per-view or non-quote-unquote pay-per-view level uh, boxing this year. The undercard on paper harkens back to what Hearn said he was going to do, you know, in the fall and and really provide deep cards that are well-matched all the way through. I mean, it delivered. So did that World Boxing Super Series card on the Saturday. Like, we're now at the point where DAZN is actually delivering on the things that they promised back in the, in the fall. May 4th is is a card that, if it was on pay-per-view, would sell close to a million pay-per-view units. Even in the system, you know, we're in right now, like, like that's, like, you know, done correctly could do more than a million. I mean, maybe it would be 800,000, something like that, but it, you get the point. Like, it, it's a big pay-per-view fight. I mean, it's not on pay-per-view though. It's on DAZN. Like the amount of pressure on this event in terms of what it means for the future of DAZN is extremely intense. 
Like, there's the fight itself, which is really good. I mean, I think Canelo matches up well with Jacobs. I favor him probably more than most people out there. But regardless of what I think, I th- it, you know, it's something that you can sell as a 50-50 fight, and they sell it that way at zone. The early odds basically indicated as much. I mean, it's also a tentpole event that no sports network can ignore <clears throat> if they want to have credibility. And I can't emphasize this part enough because – in case you can't tell, and I mentioned it already, but like ESPN and Fox and Showtime are doing everything they can to eliminate the zone. The last thing they want is a competitor and, you know, that they just sort of let happen. Like, the, you know, there's a reason the Lomachenko fight was on ESPN Plus on April 12th. And I'm sure Wilder and his team didn't just turn down the zone's money without any indication from Fox and Showtime that they would get taken care of properly. And even going back to the Lomachenko fight, remember that was against a Hearn fighter and it could have ended up on DAZN. Like this is big time stuff here. And Fox and and ESPN, even they can't ignore the fact that Canelo is fighting Jacobs. Like they have to cover it properly if they want credibility. Like ESPN has obviously prioritized this stuff on its own network, but they haven't abandoned other boxing that's happening out there. And, And Fox on the, you know, the PBC shows even now, address what's happening on other networks too. I don't see how they could ignore this. I mean, Jacobs is actually signed without Heyman. Like they, they kind of have to talk about it. We're already like, I'm recording this on Wednesday and you're already seeing ESPN.com and, and even sports center and, and Fox shows talking about it a little bit. I'm sure as it gets closer to the event, they'll talk about it a lot more. Before we move on and talk about the rest of the schedule on DAZN, and look, like May is great in a lot of places, not just DAZN, but it's especially great at DAZN. Let's talk about what DAZN has already done to market the fight. Like I talked about it a little bit last week with the WWE WrestleMania play, the Bill Simmons podcast stuff. We're now seeing, (coughs) excuse me, we're now seeing (coughs) ads during the NBA playoffs, which, I mean, let me tell you, they are incredibly expensive. Like, so much so that I was rarely able to afford them when I was at HBO working on paper, like big pay-per-view Pacquiao Mayweather fights. And that was before the new contract with the NBA that Turner got, which is an incredible amount of money. And remember, like, Turner and HBO are essentially sister companies. So you have to think, like, you you would hope there would be some kind of favor there. Um and side note, I explained this on Twitter. I'm actually even kind of surprised that Turner agreed to take DAZN's ads in the first place. If you've seen them, there hasn't been a date or a time for tune-in on them. And that's because if you're going to advertise nationally with these kind of TV ads, that kind of thing is actually common. Like, it wouldn't surprise me. I haven't seen any ads on ESPN. And it wouldn't surprise me if ESPN won't even take the ads from DAZN uh, because they would view it as a competitive product. They didn't. When I was at HBO, ESPN didn't take ads from HBO for live fights. Um, They did it for pay-per-view because at the time they weren't doing pay-per-view, so they didn't view that as a competitive product. But Turner is essentially allowing ads that, you know, like, why would, they're doing it, the reason they don't have the day, date, and time on there is because they don't want something, I mean, they're basically saying, "We'll, we'll take your money to zone but we don't want you to tell people to change the channel to other programming, even if it's later in the week or whatever. Um, and, and 
that's going to make life hard if you're a DAZN marketing executive because obviously the places that you would want to advertise the fight are going to be on live, you know, with live sports and stuff like that that translate well to a to a fight like this that that's so big. And you probably have some of your biggest potential places not even wanting to take you. But I think they've still done a good job with it. I mean, the what the what they've done so far with WWE and Simmons, solid awareness plays. DAZN's trying to hit several different demos. All the profile is likely to be casual boxing fans. Um, there are a couple interesting things about them too. Like I said last episode, WWE fans already profile as people conditioned to pay for a streaming product because the WWE network is extremely successful. They might skew a little bit older, uh, but definitely potential combat sport fans. Bill Simmons' audience, I mean, that's definitely the sweet spot. It's probably open to streaming services. It's probably a little bit younger. Uh, but if they are, you know, it is probably millennials as well. And and certainly if it's millennials or, or it's older than, than uh, millennials, they're probably open to using services that millennials use. So even if it is people in their 40s or even 50s, it's probably people who aren't tethered to their cable device and willing to try a streaming service just based on the content that Simmons produces. So I think I think that's significant as well. Um, one of the other things, I don't think I've ever put this in an article, but when I've interviewed Joseph Markowski in the past, one of the points he always drives home with their marketing plans is they look to do about 50% of the spend as a brand play and then 50% tune in focused on the fight. And this is the stage, you know, at, at this stage of where it is in the U.S. market, I think this totally makes sense. And, and that's how their plan is playing out. Let's look at the other fights on the schedule and and how clearly some, what I would say intelligent thought has been put into what they're doing, even starting with both the fights that happened this past weekend, uh, you know, sort of April 26th, 27th. One of the things I want to highlight here, if you look at the purses and how DAZN acquired this programming, they are not overpaying at all for what they're broadcasting. This has been a common critique of DAZN from all people on all sides of the business and core fans, like how long can they keep this up? They're constantly overpaying for these fights. The fighters have signed for big money to come over. But when you look at the reported fighter purses for this past weekend, and look, I understand these are not always reported correctly because there's foreign money coming in, yada, yada. Like Jesse Vargas was the only fighter over a million bucks. I think he was barely over it at 1.2. Estrada was earning 250K. Sarisa Ketsuorongi side was 500K. Like, DAZN doesn't pay much when it comes to the World Boxing Super Series either. I mean, I think <clears throat> with the contract they've signed, that's pretty cost control programming as well for them. And this is the type of stuff that you may not care about as a consumer, but in terms of people like me evaluating what DAZN is doing, you say to yourself, okay, look, maybe they overpaid at the very beginning to get people like Jesse Vargas, let's be honest, to sign up when no one else was signing up. But when you look at the salaries now, it's starting to look sustainable. Like it's it's not just this card either. Like again, yes, some of the early fighters in they did get lucrative deals, but we aren't seeing major overpays anymore. Like you know, Tevin Farmer was pointed to. Well, okay, he you know never earned three hundred k or something like that. Now he's earned five, six hundred, eight hundred k. Andre was earning you know you know probably twice or three times what he was earning at other places, but. I'm not even sure he's ever been paid. You know, I think he maybe made a million bucks once. Like those, yes, they overpaid those guys. Still, those guys weren't highly paid to begin with. 
I'll obviously make an exception when you look at Triple G's fight against Steve Rolls, where he's getting overpaid, and I'm sure Anthony Joshua is getting well compensated on June 1st to fight in the United States. But I look at that as the cost of doing business. I mean, how much different is that than the PBC paying Manny Pacquiao's tax bill so he can fight on pay-per-view in January? Or some of the other things that the PBC has quote-unquote overpaid for in the past that, let's be honest, have turned out not to be overpays in the grand scheme of things. If Triple G and Canelo win, if they and if if they fight in September and it generates massive sub numbers, then who cares if you pay overpaid Triple G for Steve Rolls? One of the things that Netflix and many other streaming services have discovered is the largest cost out there is actually the cost of acquiring new subscribers. It costs a tremendous amount of money to do that. I think someone on a last. Netflix earning calls said it costs like $160 to acquire each subscriber at this point. And they might only pay, you know, they might drop the service, you know, fairly quickly. So obviously that's a huge number. Like that's basically about what Netflix costs for the entire year. It costs a tremendous amount of money to do that. If you have to overpay fighters, who cares? It's actually not that. I, that's what I look at as like not that much of an overpay because at with at least with Triple G and Canelo, you're getting like major stars that people will flock to at that point. I mean, I've actually said it before on this podcast, but I think DAZN is probably underpaying Canelo right now. Not overpaying him, underpaying him. The salaries that Canelo and Jacobs are getting for this fight, they aren't that far off what they would be getting if this fight sold a million pay-per-views at 70 bucks. And, you know, when you factor in the other revenue that Canelo brings to the table, I actually think he would have been more made more money staying on pay-per-view throughout his 11 fights. Um, it'd be close. And I don't know how much of that is really, quote unquote, guaranteed. But I'm sure he looked at it as I'll take the guaranteed money. You know, but yeah, I'll, I'll make that case. I think Canelo's being underpaid. <clears throat> As far as other upcoming fights for May 18th, uh, or May, is May 18th uh, is the World Boxing Super Series other semifinal. Taylor fighting Branchik at 140 and Inouye fighting Rodriguez at 118. Uh, that's that's a great, you know, May 18th is a great day of fights for a lot of reasons because the Wilder fight is also great. But look, that's not competing with it time-wise. It's earlier in the day. And that's a, those are two great fights. May 25th. Usyk jumping up to to heavyweight for his first fight, fighting Carlos Takam. Like I'm in on that. June first, AJ fighting you know against appears what appears to be Andy Ruiz instead of Jarrell Miller. I mean, this type of scheduling overall is really smart because you know again Markowski has told me on the record he expects May fourth <coughs> to be the biggest sign up day in Zone's history, and I mean it doesn't take a genius to to realize that. But the great thing about this schedule is it's about as good of a month of boxing as you'll see in this day and age. And all the fight cards I just listed happen within that month window of Canelo versus Jacobs. And when you talk to people at DAZN, like they clearly expect the demos from May 4th and June 1st to be slightly different. But there's a reason that everything falls in that window. I mean, DAZN is clearly in this game to work with bigger leads. I've talked about this a lot before. And they need to show other leagues that they could both logistically put on big events, but also effectively promote them. They can effectively promote a good product. They can actually have the masses watching it. In the 
bigger scheme of things, like it is proven that audiences will pay for streaming services. And it is proven that both Wall Street and traditional companies internally view streaming as the future. But it is not proven yet that this concept will work for sports. And as you've heard about many times before in this podcast, traditional TV and cable are using sports as a way to hold on their territory. I mean, it's basically the major thing they have left. So what are the breaking points? Like, how can DAZN do this? And how can they just walk into other league offices after hitting a million subs or something like that? And maybe if Canelo wins and if they make the Triple G fight in the fall and if they get to 1.5 million subs for that. And then also, like, if the subs they get this month and, and later in September decide to keep the service, it's worth it, and they want it, and they like it. Like, what if they make AJ versus Wilder in November, December, and they even stay above 1.5 million subs? They get above 2 million subs. They get past, you know, the whole point is, like, they get past that rocky first few months that the WWE Network had to endure, and all of a sudden they get some of those year-long subs, and they're able to, to you know, have a fairly good churn rate on the $20 a month sub. Like, let's be honest. Like, first of all, that's a lot of ifs. So how do you build that whole thing up? And as regular listeners to this podcast know, I mean, I sort of like to take a big question like that and attempt to answer it by asking a lot of other questions because I think the answer is complicated. I mean, the first thing I'd, I'd ask is how much does the price change matter in terms of attempting to get that bigger overall contract? And I think DAZN will be flexible on this issue in terms of what they're trying to do right now. Like they're trying to hook people on that one month plan for a big fight and eventually convince those people that with MMA, like Bellator, the whip around MLB show, some other smaller things, Combate Americas, or I think, I actually think they have like a darts tournament or something like that. Like, but that kind of secondary programming that provides sort of more heft to the overall schedule that they bring to the table, like maybe someone starts by getting the Canelo fight on May 4th, but getting people registered, like, let me tell you, like, that's half the battle here. I mean, trust me, one of the genius parts about the way the cable system works is that all you have to do is press one button and you've spent 70 bucks on a fight. Maybe you might have to press the button twice, but it responds to impulse buys. With DAZN, they need your information. Like, there is no impulse buy with DAZN. Like, they need your information in the system. And look, if you leave, they'll work hard to get you back come September for the next fight. And I think that's why it's important to have AJ within that trial month. That's why Triple G is actually a week outside that window. So it entices you to stay. I think if another major league contract comes into play, I'm pretty sure DAZN would be flexible on how they're pricing things. You know, I get a sense from spending time with the people that there's there will always be a commitment to value for the hardcore fans of anything. Like I think they'll always do that. So there'll always be a great pricing option if you want the service all year round. But then I think they'll be willing to be flexible uh, depending on what league they're able to attract. Okay, so what are we going to see in July and after? And I mean, the answer to that is like we don't know yet. But I always go back to the part where DAZN is so different from some promoter who is coming along with a bunch of money. And after their first fight, they decide, hey, whoa, this boxing thing is kind of crazy. It's not really for me. I mean, DAZN is committed to this. Like, if you talk to the people there, they just moved into their first real office in the U.S. like just a couple weeks ago. Like, 
there's major money and confidence that what they're doing is maybe it's a little progressive, maybe it's even semi-experimental, but they have great, smart people. They have forward-thinking people, and there's a really good chance it'll work. And maybe it doesn't work, but if it doesn't work, it's not like they're going to fail in one big attempt at it. And if this fight doesn't work, it's over. Like they're truly committed to this. And I think that's one of the reasons I've been so fascinated with what they're doing. Okay. What about the NFL and Disney and Amazon for that matter, negotiating with the NFL for Sunday ticket package? Like this has been a a recent report that came out and it's Disney's OTT service. And it didn't say which one. Um, and also Amazon was negotiating with the NFL for the Sunday ticket package. This is something, you know, I always looked at the NFL Sunday ticket as like, hey, that should be one of the first targets for the zone. And I actually think if you really look at the story, it's a kind of a crazy story because DirecTV used to have Sunday ticket. I think they, you know, they still might even technically have it. Um, and look, <laughs> I can tell you firsthand from working on pay-per-views that programming like that is is clearly no longer a major priority at DirecTV or AT&T for that matter. Like AT&T services, uh, and, and that goes back to my time at HBO towards the end there, they went from really stepping up for co-op spending or just basically committing to a pay-per-view in a major way to by the end, they really didn't care much at all about it. And, you know, I mean, look, complete side note, if you're ever wondering if HBO will ever carry boxing in it, AT&T obviously owns HBO. They own DirecTV. They own UVerse. UVerse and DirecTV recently pulled the NFL network from those subscribers during their negotiations about Sunday tickets. So AT&T does, I mean, they basically seem to give zero Fs right now to the point where they are standing up to the NFL on this issue in a major way. Like, Obviously, I don't think they are really going to care that much about boxing on HBO again. So don't don't look at that as, as something for the future if one of these networks drops out. But even going back to the zone, look, had they been on a different timeline, maybe a year or two earlier, maybe this could have been the one. But I don't think, I don't even think if they had 2 million subs for Canelo versus Jacobs, the NFL would feel good enough yet about giving them a multi-year contract for that. I mean, it might have been prohibitively expensive for DAZN either way. But if DAZN proves itself over the next year or two, uh, and maybe whatever happens, you know, with the NFL and Sunday Ticket being a short-term deal. I mean, Sunday Ticket, remember, isn't Red Zone. Red Zone and Sunday Ticket are two different things. For you foreign listeners out there, I'm not going to bother diving into exactly what that means. But Sunday Ticket has been around for a long time. It is the way that you could buy every single NFL game all over because usually the games are just restricted to your local market. It was extremely popular for a long time to the point where it was a major reason why DirecTV got subscribers. And now Red Zone Channel exists almost everywhere and has kind of taken the luster off of, of Sunday Ticket. But it's a streaming package, essentially, that DAZN could have gotten and probably would have gotten them an immediate, younger NFL fans probably would have just immediately signed up for DAZN if they, if they would have had that. But 
I think the next step would be something like NHL or NBA carving out a portion of their schedule, you know, something like that going to DAZN. I think, or if MLB is happy with what DAZN is doing, I know MLB has a long-term deal with Fox, but perhaps extending the contract that they have. And that's clearly the goal. I've always said with, with, you know, with DAZN, how do you, how do you do that? Like that's kind of the next question in this. And, and, you know, it's a multi-step process on several fronts. Like, first of all, you just do whatever you can to get people to sign up. With what they have now, it's make big fights. That's clearly how you get past the three to 500,000 hardcore boxing fans that are in the U.S. Then you have to give them reasons to stay on the schedule, and DAZN is starting to do that. Like, the MLB thing they have gives you midweek programming. You know, before that, all they basically had was programming on Friday and Saturday nights that was live. And you're starting to see a robust schedule of fights that aren't just tonnage, but also contain real boxing stars and well-matched fights like that are aimed at the core fan base and casuals. Like this obviously needs to continue. We need to see more fight cards like April 26th in the World Boxing Super Series. You know, but let's assume it does continue. You need to add smaller programming, and they're starting to do that. Like there's (coughs) Bellator isn't necessarily smaller; it's smaller than the boxing they have. It's, it is big-time MMA, and they have some bigger stars. It's not the UFC, obviously. But then you also have some smaller... But Bellator is nice, and I don't know how many MMA fans are signing up just for Bellator, but you also have some smaller niche MMA stuff, so it's definitely getting the hardcore fans there. Um, you know, like I mentioned, some other programming that might reach sort of like that niche event-level stuff. And this is what ESPN was doing in its early days. Um, then there's that other part to remember, like the zone is a worldwide company. They have lots of data, lots of programming in other markets. But one of the things that that does is it helps you build relationships with all the top leagues around the world. Right now, there isn't much soccer on the U S service for the zone, but the zone televises a lot of soccer around the world. They stream the premier league in Germany, not England, but Germany, but they still have a relationship with the English premier league. They stream the NFL in Canada. Not the U.S., but Canada. Like, those are two examples. But as they graduate to bigger and better things, they'll be looking for more contracts like the one they got with Canelo. DAZN has Canelo's worldwide rights, something I've talked about a lot before on the show. The goal is one day, I'm sure, to get worldwide rights for a top league like the NBA or the English Premier League. That goes a long way towards entering really important markets, getting huge subscription numbers in really important markets. And if you go step-by-step... And let's just use, let's use the NHL for, as an example, like getting the NHL contract. You look at what the NHL is doing number-wise on NBC. As mentioned earlier, they did a $1.5 million for a Saturday night playoff game on NBC. If you build your subscription base to the point where you have 1.5, 2 million subs, something like that, you show the NHL how well they will be taken care of. And you do that by setting the template, by setting the example for what you do with Canelo in this upcoming fight. Other stuff, you show them the marketing plan, lots of money spent off-channel media, how you build the subscriber base. You basically offer to overpay for the contract to the point where owners face a really difficult financial decision because <clears throat> when you're looking, when they're looking at it, and I think every owners, every group of owners has a slightly different take on this, but basically. The way it's viewed now is, oh, you're leaving terrestrial television if you go over to a streaming service. You're leaving a larger base of audience. 
but the number is shrinking all the time. Streaming services are growing all the time. And what you really care about is a younger audience base, especially places like MLS, like that kind of stuff. They really care about that because you're setting, you're making sure that your future is bright by having that next set of, of core fans. When you do that, the trade-off is what's good for my future, which is what, what's good for now. If you offer to overpay, you basically are saying, we'll take care of you now with the money. We'll also take care of you in the future because we're where the younger viewers are. And I'm just using the NHL as an example. And the other thing is, you know, I, I don't know this specifically with the NHL, but let's say, um, let's, I don't know if DAZN does this, but let's say they did televise the NHL in Europe. You build, that's another way to build that relationship. So that's the goal for how you do it. Like, and I think the big thing in the boxing industry is people in the boxing industry look at this and like, oh, can we wait this out? And it's like, we're in step two of a long process. And I would just say, rather than wait to zone out, try to benefit from it and, and hope it succeeds because what they're offering now is is it wasn't that great in the fall outside of the Canelo fight, the the UK pay-per-views, and the World Boxing Super Series. Now we're seeing great stuff. So there you have it. Let's move on to the preview section. All right. On Saturday, May 4th, DAZN is putting on the best fight of the year. Talked about a little bit from the business side in the deep dive. The main event is Canelo Alvarez versus Danny Jacobs for the WBC, WBA, and IBF middleweight titles. Also on the card, Virgil Ortiz fights Mauricio Herrera. Pablo Cesar Cano fights Michael Perez. Jojo Diaz fights Freddie Fonseca. Saddam Ali and Lamont Roach are in lesser fights. And John Ryder fights Bilal Akawai for a super middleweight interim title. Canelo was a little over a 2-1 to favorite. Is now up to like 4-1 to or 5-1 to after the judges were announced. I actually broke this down for the thing I mentioned earlier with Johnny Wilde's column. I think these judges all favor Canelo's style. I actually think his style is also tailor-made for Jacobs. I think it'll be close rounds, but not a close fight. Canelo wins by unanimous decision with wider scorecards than you think. As for the other fights on the card, Virgil Ortiz is like a 20-35-1 to 35 to 1 favorite. Ryder's like a 4-1 to 1 favorite. Ali is a huge favorite. The other ones don't even have odds. Also, on Saturday, May 4th, ESPN Top Rank putting on a competitive show where Artur Beterbiev fights Hot Rod Kalajic for Peter Biev's light heavyweight title and Jerwin Ankahas fights Ryuchi Fanai for Ankahas' IBF junior bantamweight title. Peter Biev is about a 9-1 favorite, though you can find him as a bigger favorite at some other places. Same with Ankahas, he's like an 8-9-1 or nine to one fave, although it's higher at some places. So it's not great for ESPN because they are competing with the really big fight, but honestly, both of these fights... It's not really star fighters, but they're, these fights are actually better than any undercard on DAZN. Maybe ESPN is sort of hoping that fight fans can watch the ESPN fights while they keep an eye on the DAZN, and they're just sort of waiting for the main event, and they'll switch once that happens. I've talked about this before. If you're a promoter, you take the dates. Tough to expect too much, and I think that's why you're seeing two guys that haven't really gotten great ratings yet. And I think there's like, I, I can't remember if Peter B. have had a, Muslim fasting reason or something like that for him fighting on this date. But either way, um, it's actually it's actually decent fights, just not big-name fighters on ESPN that day. Let's see how those turn out. 
Let's go to Friday, May 10th, where DAZN is airing a local card from England, and Showtime is a Showbox card, neither of which I care too much about, uh, but uh, worth mentioning. Saturday, May 11th, there is a another great day of boxing. The great boxing schedule continues. Let's start out with ESPN's offering, which is Miguel Burchell versus Francisco Vargas in a rematch for Burchell's WBC junior lightweight title. Along with another rematch, this time it's Emmanuel Navarrete against Isaac Dogbay for Navarrete's WBO junior featherweight title. Both of these were really good, if not great, first fights. They both should be very good TV. Um, I didn't see odds out yet. I think Burchelt might have been 10 or 11 to 1. Uh, but when I looked at it uh, earlier today, it was not, they were not out. They should be fairly close. Burchelt might be lower than that. Um, they're well-matched fights. They should deliver. At the very least, they should be good TV. Also on May 11th on Fox from Fairfax, Virginia, about an hour and a half, hour, 15 minutes, something like that, away from where I grew up. Jared Hurd fighting Julian Williams for Hurd's IBF WBA junior middleweight title. Also on the card, Matt Korobov gets a comeback fight against Emmanuel Alim, and Mario Barrios fights Juan Jose Velasco. Neither of which I care too much about, but oh man, that main event is going to be a good one. I only found one place with odds. Herd was like a seven to one favorite. Um, but look, these so the Herd Williams fight and then both fights on ESPN. At the very least, they should all be good, if not great TV. Every underdog has a pathway to victory. I think especially Dog Bay, and I think J Rock Williams does too. I think he also has a pathway to victory. They could pull off upsets if they fight smart. You know, we'll see if Vargas is done or not because I think I do favor Burchelt in that matchup. Um, but it's going to be great TV, and you're going to hear this from me again. Like the fights we've had over the last two weeks were, were the start. This is a great two week stretch. The one after this is also going to be a great stretch. All right, guys. It's been almost an hour, ten minutes again. I don't know how I talk this long all the time. This is this is it. This is great boxing for you. Enjoy it. I'll be back in two weeks. We'll talk about PBC and their TV ratings, and hopefully get uh, some more information. Like hopefully that that May eleventh fight does deliver for them, uh, and their ratings improve. All right. Did you get what you was looking for?